I was listening this morning while I was getting ready. I was listening to the book of Job on my phone. And I was listening to chapter 1 and chapter 2. And you're familiar with the story of Job, how Satan came before the Lord with the sons of God. And the Lord asked him the question. He said, where have you been? He told him uh, to and fro, roaming the earth. Um, and then the Lord was the one who submitted Job's name. He said, hast thou considered my servant Job? And you remember God gave him a certain amount of liberty to go touch Job's family and to touch his, his uh, livestock and all of his wealth. And then Satan came back to the Lord. And then the Lord asked Satan the same question, where have you been? Same response. And then uh, once again, the Lord says, hast thou considered my servant Job? And he said, well, I've done all I can, but you won't let me touch you you won't let me touch his body you won't let me take his life and then you remember the lord shrunk the hedge and he allowed him to touch his body but one thing that a statement i noticed and this is just i've been rolling this around in my mind this morning but one statement i noticed is that uh as the lord was talking to job he told him he said you've moved me against him that's what he told satan he said you have moved me against job now of course, Satan was the one that was behind all of that that happened. But I thought, that's so curious to me. Why, why did the Lord tell Satan that you are the one that's moved me against Job? But I thought about it. You remember, it was, it was a, a great wind that had took Job's family. And then I think it was the fire of heaven, right, that, that had failed. So what I think what the Lord was saying is that... Satan didn't have control over that wind. Satan didn't have control over the elements. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't have done that to Job. That was in the hands of God. And, you know, I thought even, even though Satan attacks us and uh, we know the Bible talks about the fiery darts of Satan and how he's always trying to take advantage of us in our life, God's still in control. He's still in the one that he's still the one. He, Satan only has as much power as the Lord lets him have. And I'm thankful for that. That's a comfort when we go through things that we don't understand. I'm glad we can know he's in control. I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. And we're going to go to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And uh, when you found your place, I'll ask you if you will stand. I'm not sure what y'all usually do. But if you'd like to, I'll let you stand and rest from your seat for just a moment. If you'll let me, I want to just go ahead and read this entire chapter. And uh, it won't take us very long to read these 22 verses. And then I'm really just interested in a, in a small portion of this chapter. And I'm going to preach just a little bit differently than I normally do. I'm usually a very textual preacher. That's just where I feel comfortable. I don't enjoy getting up and talking in front of people. Uh, I've always had a hard time with it. I feel like every preacher says that. But uh, I, even growing up, you know, I had a... I just never have enjoyed talking in front of people. So I have a hard time just getting up and talking. I feel most comfortable when I stay in a certain text, and I like to just go verse by verse, word by word, and kind of break down that text. Um, but I'm gonna, what we're going to do this morning is I, I want to look at a small portion of this chapter and then maybe look at a little more of a topical subject. Uh, but, but this is what the Lord's put in my heart. I've only preached this thought once. It was several months ago at our church, and I honestly never thought that I would preach this out anywhere. And, uh, but I really feel like this is the direction the Lord wants us to go this morning. And I, I really want to help you. That's my heart this morning. Uh, I've struggled because 
Lord's been good to me. I announced my call to preach when I was 10. Uh, so I've preached for uh, 20 years, 21 years now, but I still feel like a young preacher. And it's tough when you're, you're a young preacher. I know you're not supposed to, but you always want to impress people. That's what, that's what you're, you know, you just want people to think you're a good preacher. And uh, I guess every preacher deals with that, whether you're young or old. But I, I really don't want to impress you this morning. I just want to help you. I want to give you my heart. And I hope that the Lord will help us. If anything's done, it's going to be because of Him. So I hope the Lord will help us this morning. Psalm 103, let's look at verse 1. He said, Blessed or Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness, And tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I say amen to that verse. He said, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so is great His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Verse 13, He said, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them." The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye angels, that excel in strength, and do His commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His word. Bless ye the Lord, all His hosts, ye ministers of His that do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now in just a moment, we're going to go back to verse number 13. And I want to specifically look at verse number 13 through verse number 16. Just a small portion of this chapter. It's really a contrast that the psalmist makes between the goodness of God, the excellence of God, and the frailty of man. But I have just a one-word title for my message this morning, and that's emotions. I want to preach on the subject of emotions, and I know that probably doesn't make much sense from the verses that we've read, but if, if you'll stay with me, I want to give you what the Lord's put on my heart. Let's pray. Ask for the Lord's help this morning. Lord, I thank you for being good to us. I thank you for letting us be in church this morning. Uh, and Lord, I, I was thinking driving down the road of all the people that are going all kinds of different places. Lord, I'm so satisfied to just be here in your house with your people. And the Lord, I thank you for this honor. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we open your word. Thank you for Sunday school and for the singing that's took place. But, <coughs> Lord, we need a touch for you from you again. And, the Lord, I pray that you would strengthen me and that you would speak through me, that you would use me as a vessel to preach your word. And, Lord, I pray for the hearts of your people. 
Lord, uh, outside of Brother, Brother uh, Stamper, uh, these people I've never met before. I don't know anything about their life. But, Lord, you do, and, and I'm thankful that you have the power through your spirit. The same Holy Spirit that's in my heart is the same Holy Spirit living in their heart. And, the Lord, I pray that you'd work in that way this morning. We'll thank you for all that you do. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Now, if you were to take the time to go through all of the Psalms and to, uh, to sort them out in which Psalm was the greatest, uh, first of all, I, I guess it would be impossible to try to attach a rank to each individual psalm and, and uh, it would be different compared to our lives. I know sometimes there are different psalms that uh, speak to us differently and you may have a special psalm for one reason or the other. But if you had a list, you, I think you would have to put Psalm 103 somewhere close to the top of that list. This is just such a great psalm. And this is a psalm of David magnifying the Lord and thanking God for His goodness and for His excellence. It's particularly when you look at the few verses you noticed as we read through the first portion of this psalm, David is talking about the forgiveness of sin. David was someone who knew about God's forgiveness. He was someone who found himself in desperate need of God's forgiveness. And David could look back in his life and he could say, Thank God that he is a God that forgives sins. Thank God that he doesn't hold iniquity to our account. And I'm so thankful for that truth. And you'll see that David just magnifies the Lord. And he just talks about, you could go throughout this psalm and you could look at everything that David says. And we would have to agree with David in saying that the Lord is worthy to be praised. And uh, in our soul, we should bless the name of the Lord. But in verse number 13 through verse number 16, you'll find that David takes a, a small portion of this psalm to contrast the difference in God and man. There are a lot of different ways you could magnify the excellence of God. And David did that. When you talk about forgiveness, you magnify the excellence of God. That God could forgive sin. That's one of the most amazing attributes of God's power and of His mercy. That He could take someone who is completely unrighteous and completely unjust in the eyes of God. And yet He makes us righteous and He makes us just. And He was willing to treat His Son like a sinner so that we could be treated like His Son. That's amazing to me. Nothing magnifies the excellence of God like thinking about His power to save. You could think about creation and there's times throughout the Psalms where the psalmist would mention creation and creation itself magnifies the Lord and you could think about the the perfection or the righteousness of God and that magnifies him and who he is. But but one interesting way that David magnifies the Lord is that he takes a minute to look at our own frailty. He, he talks about when you, when you look at man and you really look at who we are, it, it's, it's a perfect contrast to let you see how great that God really is. Let me show you three things now. I want you to get to verse 13 and verse 16, and then we're just going to look at one phrase from these few verses. But I want, you to show, I want to show you three things that David talks about in regards to the Lord and his relationship with man. First of all, in verse number 13, he talks about his pity. He said, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. David takes just a moment 
And he really tries to look at man from God's perspective. That's basically impossible for us to do, but he's taking a step back and he's saying that when the Lord looks at man, he pities them like a father pities his children. And I'm thankful for the sympathy of the Lord in our life. You know, God should look us, he should look at us in judgment. We deserve the wrath of God in our life because of our disobedience and because of our sin. When you take a step back, in fact, some people, that's their only view of God. And they're not wrong because we understand God is a God of perfection. And someday those that are lost will face the wrath of God. And they'll stand beside, before Him at the great white throne judgment and they'll look at the perfect righteous anger of God and they'll be judged for their sin. But some people, that's the only idea they have of the Lord. But I'm thankful that God just does not just look at us through wrath, but He also looks at us with love. He looks at us with pity and I'm thankful for the pity of God. Not only that, in verse number 14, He talks about the perception of God toward us. Not that he just pities us, but really verse number 14 is a description of why God pities us. He said that he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are but dust. See, what the psalmist is saying is God does not expect much out of us because he knows who we are. He was the one who created us. He was the one that was there in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned against God and mankind was plunged into depravity. And he said he understands our tendencies. He understands our failure. He understands our shortcoming. And he looks at us and instead of out of anger and out of wrath, he looks looks at us with love and with pity. Not only does he talk about his perception, but also in verse number 15 and 16, he talks about the peccability of man. Or the frailty of man. I want you to see what he said in verse number 15. He said, as for man, there's really no comparison between God and man. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. If you ever think very much of yourself, then just visit these few verses and you'll figure out that God understands how frail that we are. God understands how insignificant that we are. In fact, I believe that we would would never really have a struggle with pride if we could see ourselves the way that God sees us. If we could see just how frail that we are, just how weak, just how incapable that we are in the power of our flesh. He gives us this idea, use the metaphor of a, of a grass or a flower of the field that when the wind passeth by in verse number 16, it's gone. Not only is it just gone, that shows us how frail that our life is. That in just one moment, in just one instant, it, it can be over. But he also says in verse number 16 that the place thereof shall know it no more. What he's saying is that our life is so frail that without God in our life, We will live and we will die and we will make absolutely no impact. It will make no difference. It will make no change. Just as that flower that blooms in the morning and is blown away in the evening and never impacts the place that it was put. That is what a life lived without God is. I'm thankful through God and through His ability we can make a difference. But without God we're nothing. We cannot even change the place that we have been put. So so he talks about how frail that we are. Now, here's what I want you to see. As you go back to verse number 14, 
I want to kind of highlight this one phrase that the psalmist, psalmist uses. He says, for he knoweth our frame. I was thinking about what our, our frame is. We're pretty familiar with this word. This is a word that we use quite often. A lot of times we'll talk about framers, men that build houses. And they're, they're the ones that construct, the, they, 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 they put together the skeleton of that house. That's what the house, the house is built upon the framework. Before there can be any drywall hung, before there can be any flooring, before there can be uh, any sheathing put on the house, there has to be a structure. There has to be something for that house to be attached to, and we call that the frame. Uh, a lot of times with our vehicles, the frame of our vehicles is not very obvious. You can't see the frame of your car unless you get under and look for it. But that's what everything sets on. That's what everything is attached to. That's what holds everything together. The frame is the constitution of something. And the Bible says that God knows our frame. He knows what we're made of. It's interesting how scientists have spent years and years and years and I mean, I would say, I guess trillions of dollars has been spent in scientific research for, for as, as long as we can remember trying to gather as much information about man. And we've come a long way, haven't we? It's amazing what we know about the human body and how we're constructed and all the ins and outs of how our body works. But even then, there's so many questions that are still left. Even, even then, there's just a limited knowledge that we have. But the God of heaven, the creator of us, he knows our frame. Now, when you think of our frame, I think about the three aspects of our constitution. Now, a lot of times you'll hear us referred to as a triune being. And there's a lot of uncertainty and I guess even some debate about the specifics of this. But I think it's laid out somewhat plainly in scripture but I was thinking about the three aspects of who we are what constitutes our frame well first of all we understand our body that's the physical aspect of who we are that's what we all see that's what we're all familiar with and that's what we're all recognized with is our body and one thing that we understand about all of our constitution all of our frame is we understand that we are born into depravity born into iniquity Every part of us, and I believe this, now I'm not a Calvinist, but I do believe in, in complete depravity. Now, not to the extent that many of the Calvinists believe it, but I believe there is no good thing. The Bible teaches us there is none righteous, no, not one. There is our righteousness is as filthy rags. There is no good thing in us. And every, I have to understand this, that every part of my being is depraved because of sin. So first of all, my body, it constitutes the physical. And I understand that I am depraved physically. The reason that we deal with diseases like cancer and, and leukemia and all these different things that we hate even talking about how, because of how awful they are. But the reason that we deal with, with that is because of physical depravity. The reason that we get old and the reason that things don't work like they used to the older we get is because we have a physically depraved body. So many people will question God. Why in the world did God create cancer? Why did he create this disease or this insufficiency? But the truth is God didn't create it. He created us perfect. He created a world cancer-free. He created a world sickness-free. Uh, he created a world free of arthritis. It was our depravity and our sin that caused all of that to happen. 
So we understand that part of our frame is our body and we are physically depraved. Not only that, but also the other part that we'll talk about quite a bit when we talk about us being a triune being and how, how we're constituted is we'll talk about our soul. And our soul is who we are spiritually. Usually we're referencing our spiritual life. We, a lot of times we'll say, the Lord saved my soul. And we understand that we're depraved physically in our body, but we're also depraved spiritually. That's why all of us have a tendency towards sin. That's why all of us deal with temptation. We are born with a sin-sick soul. And we are born, the reason we see so many terrible things that are happening is not because of the depravity, depravity of our body, but it's because of the depravity of man's soul. And because of man's depravity in his soul, we are born as an enemy of God. We are born outside of the family of God. So I have to understand that about myself. He knows my frame. He knows that I'm physically depraved, but he also knows that I'm spiritually depraved in my soul. And there's a third part, there's a third part of our frame or our constitution that I would reference. And this is really what I want to look at for just a few minutes. Is he talks about our spirit. So generally speaking, when someone refers to the three parts of who we are, we'll talk of it in the terms of body, soul, and spirit. Our body is the physical depravity. Our soul is our spiritual depravity. But our spirit, I think, is defined by our emotions. When I think of the word spirit, I think about it's the emotions that identify us. All of us have a different, we all have different emotions. And sometimes a person can be identified or sometimes they're even known because of their tendencies emotionally. So I understand that if I'm depraved physically and I need God's help in my life physically and if I'm depraved spiritually and I need God to save my soul, then I'm also depraved in my emotions. I think this is something that we don't think about often and maybe even sometimes we ignore, but one of the reasons that we see so many strange things happening in our society is because of emotional depravity. Things like transgenderism. I mean, could you ever believe that we were having to deal with something like that in the world? That I can't believe in America that we're having to def- deal with defining what a man is and what a woman is. And we're encouraging people that if you don't like being a man, you can be a woman. Or if you feel like a, you're a man and feel like a woman, you can be a woman. Or, and really, we've noticed, we've noticed very recently that there's no limit to that. When that's encouraged, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And if you feel like being an animal, you can be an animal. We've noticed parts of that in our society. It's absolute insanity. The reason we're dealing with all of that is because we are depraved emotionally. One thing I've struggled with, you've probably heard people who were sodomites. They'll say something like, uh, they'll say something like well, I've been this way all my life. And they'll mistakenly credit God which is just absolutely blasphemy, but they'll mistakenly credit God to creating them with an attraction for the same gender. That's, that's not God's fault. What that is is emotional depravity. That's the only way that that can be explained. Just like we have physical depravity and just like we have spiritual depravity, we have emotional depravity. And what is so concerning in our society is that we have, we have been pressured to, through all of the wokeness that has taken place, we have been imp- we've been pressured to embrace emotional depravity instead of taking a step step back and say, okay, 
Maybe you have these crazy emotions. Maybe you're dealing with this stuff. But it's not, it's not to be encouraged. It's that we recognize it's a part of our Adamic nature and we submit to the Word of God in our life. So there's a lot, there's a lot that could be said about that. And I'm not interested in getting all of that. All I want you to understand this morning is that we are emotionally depraved. And, and why is it that we struggle? I don't, I don't know why this is. But one thing you have to understand that even as a Christian... You have a tendency to struggle emotionally. It doesn't, being a Christian doesn't fix all, just like it doesn't fix all your physical problems. And it doesn't fix all of your spiritual problems. Any of us that got saved and then from that point on we never dealt with temptation. I don't think anybody can say that because we still have that old nature. We're still holding on to that old man. And getting saved doesn't necessarily fix our emotional problems. It seems like that some people deal with emotional problems much more than other people. Some people, just in the same way that it seems like some people deal with physical problems, physical sickness more than others. You've probably known someone, you could probably think of a name in your mind right now of someone who it seems like it's been one sickness after another, one physical problem, and it just seems like it's been their lot in life that they've had to deal with so much sickness and so much physical pain. Well, the same thing is true sometimes emotionally. Sometimes, listen, all of us have tendencies emotionally. There are some things you'll struggle with emotionally that I may never have to deal with. Some things you may deal with in your emotions that I can't even understand because it's, it's just not a part of who I am. But here's what I want you to understand, that God understands your emotions. The emotions that you deal with. Now, we've taken a very uh, a medical approach to most of this. And, and I want you to understand this, first of all, that I'm not against medicine. I believe there are emotional problems. There are chemical imbalances. And there are things that affect our emotions that I'm thankful God has given doctors the knowledge to be able to treat or to help. But, but sometimes we run to medicine before we just take a step back and understand that our emotions are a part of life. In fact, sometimes if you deal with problems in your emotions, sometimes you'll feel like you're the only person. You'll feel like no one else deals with these same problems. And you'll have the idea that you're the only person dealing with it. But what I want you to understand is God knows your frame. Just as much as He knows our physical body, just as much as He knows our soul, He knows our emotions. Now real quickly, I want to hurry. I'll spend too much time here. But I want to give you a few things about our emotions. And then I want to give you four things that I believe the Bible has given us to deal with our emotions. Scientists, I was studying a little bit in the, the recent past about psychologists and people who's, who uh, specifically uh, professionalize in this kind of a field. And scientists for a long, long time, or psychologists, they've kind of defined our emotions in six different categories. I'll list them for you real quick. It's happiness, sadness, fear, disgust, anger, and surprise. That's the six main emotions the psychologists will attribute to mankind. And, and it's gotten even more extensive. I think there's 26 or 27 different emotions that have been named specifically in recent days. And, uh, and then there's, I was looking one time at an online kind of an interactive map of emotions and how this emotion is, and I mean, man has went very, very deep in trying to understand our emotions. But, but there are a few things I think we can see from the Scripture about our emotions, what the Bible has to say. Let me give them to you real quick. First of all, I want you to notice that emotions are invisible. They, I know it's so obvious, 
but they are the invisible aspect of our life. Just like our framework. It, it, most, most of us will go home today and you'll never see the frame of your house because it's covered with drywall on the inside. It's covered with siding on the outside. You'll never see. It's, it's the invisible part of your structure. Same thing as I mentioned with our vehicle. You never see the frame. It's the part that everything's surrounded by, but it's the part that no one sees. And one thing that I, I think that's one reason that we struggle sometimes so much with our emotions because emotions are things that we can hide. Emotions are things that we can cover up. I can look at you and I cannot tell you what your emotions are because I can't see your emotions. That's something that only you deal with. Sometimes we have a misconception about people and what their emotions are. Sometimes you'll see someone who looks like the biggest, especially this is true with guys, young guys particularly, I don't know why. I mean, they look like the biggest, baddest dude. and They look like somebody you wouldn't want to mess with. But if you could see in their heart, they could very well be an emotional wreck. One thing I think that's so interesting in Scripture is that King David, I'm talking about the one who defeated Goliath. The one who had so much blood on his hand that God wouldn't allow him to build the temple. The one who was a warrior. And yet he seems to me the most emotional man that we read about in the word of God. In fact, most of the Psalms that David wrote, or a lot of them at least, was David opening up us to his emotions. Let me give you one of them. Psalm 6, 6. You don't even have to turn here. But Psalm 6 and verse number 6, David said, I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. David said, I may look like a warrior and I may look like a king on the outside. I may look like I have it all together. But if you could see who, what I'm dealing with on the inside. If you went to bed with me at night and you saw all of the restless nights and all of the tears that I have cried because of the emotions that I'm dealing with in my heart. You may be here this morning. You may be dealing with that in your life emotions that no one else can see and you can't sleep at night they're the first thing you think about when you lay down the or the last thing you think about when you lay down the first thing you think about in the morning is those emotions that are just they're just they're 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 haunting your mind and and those emotions that that no one else knows about no one else can see that's how emotions emotions work in our life i think about the invisibility of our emotion not only that but I also thought about the impact of our emotions. It's amazing how something invisible and something so private yet so greatly affects our life. Such a, such a small part. In fact, you'll, 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 you'll hear the term control your emotions and, and things like that. And you would think that that would be easy to control. But yet sometimes they completely, they completely constrain our life. I was thinking about, first of all, your emotions will impact your perception of people. Sometimes your emotions will impact your perception of life. All of us have a different perception on life based upon our emotions. It's interesting. I could look at your life and I could say, you have a great life. Everything's going good. I could start to name things in your life that are good. But your emotions may give you a different perception of your life than I see. It, it really affects our outlook. How many times? How many times have you dealt just been in a bad mood on a, on on just a random day, and, and I mean nothing. You you don't you're not happy about anything, and sometimes nothing has to change except for your emotions, and you'll have a completely different outlook. 
you'll, you'll have a completely different perception of your life because emotions affect our perception. It affects our perception of life. It affects our perception of people. If, if we're not careful, sometimes, sometimes we'll determine someone's character by our emotions, by how we feel about it. And how many of us, from time to time, now sometimes it's right, but sometimes from time to time, how many of us have been completely mistaken about what we thought about someone else because we based it on our emotions? Our emotions will give us a weird perception. Let me tell you this, sometimes your emotions will give you the wrong perception of God. Sometimes we'll let our emotions, instead of facts, we'll let our emotions tell us who God is. If you ever read in Exodus chapter number 5, when Moses had went to deliver the nation of Israel, by the end of chapter 5, he has to return to God, and Pharaoh won't let God's people go. The officers of the nation of Israel are upset at Moses. They're telling Moses, we hope God judges you for what you've done. And Moses goes back to the Lord and he looks at God and he makes a statement based something like this. You can read in the last part of the last verse or two of Exodus chapter 5. He says, neither hast thou delivered thy people. What Moses did is he allowed his, his emotions to decide his perception of God. He emotionally felt like God had failed him. He felt like his emotions were telling him that God's let you down. God's a liar. God hasn't come through. He didn't, he didn't understand. His emotions had him focused on his circumstances. And if you're not careful, you'll let your emotions decide your perception of God. There may be somebody here this morning that you feel like God has let you down because your perception of God is based on how you feel. You're hurt, you're sad, you're broken, whatever it is that's caused your emotions to feel that way. And in your mind, you think when the truth is he's not let you down. The fact is he is faithful. He is true. You know that's what the Bible says. You know, you know you've heard it time and time again. You've read the verses. But your emotions has, has, has affected the way that you view God. You have to be careful. Let me say this as well. Your emotions will impact your countenance. One of the first times you'll really notice emotions recognized in the scripture is in the story of Cain and Abel. You remember Cain, out of anger, killed his brother Abel. And when the Lord came, even though God knows everything, he didn't have to point this out. But when the Lord came and confronted Cain about his sin, he told him that his countenance had fallen. Because his, his anger, the emotion of anger in his life, had affected his countenance. I'm telling you, even though it's kind of contradictory to what I said first, that our emotions is invisible, they are invisible. No one can see them. But eventually, your emotions will work their way to your countenance. Eventually, there's only so long that you can hide them. There's only so long that you can fake it. There's only so long you can keep that facade. Eventually, our emotions work ourselves to our countenance and they affect our life. Proverbs, uh, 14, thir- Proverbs 15, 13, he said, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sor- sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. Let me say this as well. Not only do our emotions affect our perception and they'll affect our countenance, but one, war- one danger of our emotions is sometimes they'll affect our choices. It's very, this is, this is, this is uh, something that, I mean, it happens consistently in our life. That people allow, and it's usually the times you'll make a mistake is when you allow your emotions to affect your choices. I was uh, not long ago, in fact, it was Brother Tony Shirley. I know he was here Friday night. And uh, I was riding down the road listening to the message that he preached. And he, he gave an illustration about a man who had a very large manufacturing company. And the man one day was taking some investors through his company. 
and he was wanting to show him the ins and outs and how successful he had been in his business. Well, the man was notorious to hate laziness. He couldn't stand it. His company had been built on hard work, and he couldn't stand a lazy employee. They said he was walking through the company with those investors, and he looks, and there's a young man standing in the corner on his phone doing absolutely nothing. I mean, in, in, in an instant, the owner, the CEO, he was angry. He walks up to the young man. He says, young man, I want you to tell me something. He said, how much money do you make a month? The young man responded, well, he said, I make about $2,000 a month. The owner reached into his pocket, pulled out $2,000 cash, gave it to the young man. He said, here's your month pay. I don't ever want to see you in my building again. I don't tolerate laziness. So the young man took the money and left, and the owner continued taking his investors through the company. They said he came back around, and he asked the supervisor, he inquired, he said, by the way, who was that young man that I, that I fired? He said, well, sir, that was the young man that was here to deliver our pizzas today. So, isn't that how sometimes emotions work? A lot of times we'll do things in emotions, and we think we understand everything. We think we know the situation. And we'll make a choice in emotions that affects our life negatively. That's, you could go through time and time again. The one I was thinking, the one that was really on my heart, I know this is kind of topical. I, again, I don't like to preach like this. I like to stay in the text. But I was thinking about, you remember Jacob and Esau? And Jacob tricked, tricked Isaac into giving the birthright to Esau. And do you know why, how he did it? He did it through emotions. He did it because, he, remember, he, he, he put the, the, uh, the uh, hair on his arms. And, and what happened is Isaac, he, he made a decision not based off of facts but on emotions. And many times you'll let your emotions make choices. There are so many people who have lost their family. They've lost their family because they made an emotional decision. There are a lot of pastors who have lost their church. There are a lot of pastors who have stepped out of the will of God for their life because they make an emotional decision. They were discouraged. They were upset. Something had went wrong. There, there are wives who have stepped away from their marriage based on an emotional decision. There are sons and daughters who have walked away from their mom and dad based on an emotional decision. And if you make choices based on your emotions, they'll get you in trouble every time. Our emotions are deceptive in our life. The invisibility of our emotions, the impact of our emotions, quickly, I'm just going to give you these so we'll get to, to uh, my closing thought. The injustice, let me say this, the injustice of our emotions. Let me say, I'll tell you this. Your emotions will not treat you fairly. Your, your emotions will deceive you. They, they trap us. I think this is why we see so much suicide in the day we live. And the reason it's always existed is because people will get to an emotional place where they feel trapped. And there's, they just don't feel like there's any way out of the situation except for death. There's no way they can escape. They're so tormented by their emotions. There's no way they can escape it. And they get to the place where they think the only way they can get away from their emotions is by taking their own life. Your emotions will make you feel trapped. Your emotions are a thief. Your emotions, if you're not careful, your emotions will rob you of joy in your life. You're, and I'm telling you, this is the pot calling the kettle black in this situation. Because there's so many times in my life I let my emotions rob me of enjoying the goodness of God in my life. Your emotions will rob you of opportunity. There have been so many people, the children of Israel, they were standing there looking at the Canaan land. The promise of God had been given to them. 
You can take the land. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to drive out your enemies. They had the promise of God over and over again, but they turned away from the opportunity to go into Canaan land. Why? Because of their emotions. They were scared of the giants. And that day they allowed those ten spies, allowed their emotions to be greater than the promise of God. And they made a choice to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And that generation died without seeing what God can do. Your emotions will rob you of what God wants to do in your life. You live your life based on your emotions and you will miss God's blessing that He has for you in your life. Not only the injustice of our emotion, but also I would say the inconsistency of our emotions. Our emotions are like a roller coaster. There's no consistency. Our emotions are inconsistent. They're inconsistent in their timing. When Elijah had had that incredible victory on Mount Carmel, I mean, that was an amazing experience. That was the highlight of Elijah's life. In the next chapter, he's sitting by a juniper tree begging God to take his life because emotions will catch you out of nowhere. I mean, he should have been praising God. He should have been happy. He should have still been rejoicing that he saw the fire of God fall on that altar and he had victory over the prophets of Baal. But he's so discouraged he wants to leave the world. That's what his emotions... Your emotions will have the strangest timings. It's so strange. Sometimes, sometimes emotions... I mean, you'll be in a place in your life where everything's good. God's blessing you and... I guess there's no place in life where there's not a few things we could look at and say we wish were different. But I mean, we'll be in places in our life where God's been good. He's blessed us. You have a healthy, a healthy family. You have a husband or a wife that loves you. You have a good church to go to. You have a good pastor. There's no major crisis in your life. And yet your emotions are still just robbing you of, what, of joy and of happiness in your life. That's emotions, emotions have the worst timing. Along with that, I would say that emotions are inconsistent with the truth. Emotions and truth are not always the same. And you're going to have to choose which, which one you live your life by. You can decide to live your life by truth or you can decide to live your life by emotions. If you live your life by truth, truth just doesn't change. And the only way you're going to have a consistent Christian life is living your life by truth. If you live your life by, if you live your life by emotions, your Christian life is going to be up and down. You're, you're going to... One aspect of this that all of us, most of us at least practice every day of our life is going to work. Could you imagine if you went to work based on your emotions? I'd never go to work. Every one of us are going to get up tomorrow morning and our emotions are going to say, man, I wish you didn't have to go to work. But the truth is, we understand we have to go to work because we have to make a living. And it's just a, it's, it's just a fact. And the only way we can be consistent... And I'm telling you, that's the reason you can't find anybody to work in the day that we live is because we have a generation of people who live their life based on their emotions. And that's a miserable life to live. Let me say this. I'm, I'm done with this point. Let me mention four things. So there's the invisibility of our emotions, the impact of our emotions, the injustice of our emotion, the inconsistency of our emotions. We don't understand our emotions. But here's one thing I want to remind you. He knoweth our frame. Your emotions do not... Con- Catch God by surprise. And sometimes we'll spend more time feeling guilty and being ashamed of our emotions instead of just understanding, God knows I'm dealing with this. God understands this is what constitutes me. God knows this is the emotion, and I'm just going to believe the truth of the Word of God, and I'm going to do what's right. Here's what I want to say. What are, what are the instructions for our emotions? 
Four things of how we deal with our emotions. I wish I could tell you if, you, if you struggle with emotions, if that's a big part of your life and it's caused you to be up and down in your Christian life, it's caused you to be inconsistent, it's caused you, it's caused you to want to walk away from the opportunity and the blessing that God's put in your life, I wish I could tell you that God will do something and you'll never have to deal with that again. But the truth is that's probably not, that's probably not going to happen. It's just a part of who we are. It's a part of depravity. Just like I can't tell you if you're going to be a Christian and you serve God, I can't tell you you'll never have cancer. I can't tell you you'll never have sickness. I can't, I, can't, I can't do that because it's just a part of life. And sometimes the same is true with our emotions. You may have to deal with that the rest of your life. But I think God's given us a few ways. Let me give them to you. I'm done. First of all, He's given us the instruction to request. You don't have to turn here, but I'll read it to you. Philippians 4, 6, such a familiar verse. You've probably heard it quoted time and time again. Philippians 4, 6, he said, be careful for nothing. If you've studied that word careful, it literally means to be anxious, to be full of care. It's the same word that's used when Mary and Martha, where Jesus was at their house, and Jesus told Martha, thou art careful. She was so full of care that she missed out on the good thing. It's the same. It's the exact same word, in fact, that's used in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus told his disciples, take no thought. He was telling them not to be anxious. He says, be, and this is easier said than done. He said, be careful for nothing, okay? So what's the alternative? Here's the verse. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. That's what, that's what many of David's psalms were. They were a prayer of God in his emotions, a prayer of God saying, God, I can't do this on my own. You're going to have to help me. One way that God has given you to deal with your emotions is prayer. Let God know. He knows already. That's what he told his, that's what he told his disciples there in Matthew chapter number 6. He told them not to take, take any thought for tomorrow. He said, because your father already knows what you need. He knows it. Take but one, one, one of the ways you're going to deal with your emotions is by taking those emotions to the Lord. How would, you, how would you deal with cancer if you found out tomorrow you had cancer? Only thing I could do is go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is out of my control. You're going to have to, how would you deal with uh, some, some sort of problem in your family? You're going to have to, how would you deal with a prodigal child? You're going to have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't deal with this. This is the same thing with your emotions. If you're struggling with your emotions, you've got to take it to the Lord. Secondly, he said to request, but the second, and this is, again, every one of these are easier said than done, but the second is rest. Here's the verse I'll give you, Psalm 56 and verse number 3. David said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Fear is an emotion that David experienced time and time again. Some things, the only thing you can do with your emotions is just rest. You have to rest, and what I mean by rest, and I'm not telling you to go take a nap, Rest in the promises of God. Amen. He says, I will trust in thee. Sometimes you just have to choose that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to choose facts over fear. I'm going to choose facts over my emotions. And even though my emotions are telling me this and my emotions are making me feel like this, I am going to trust the promise of God. If the nation of Israel would have just trusted when God told them, you can take the Canaan land, I've gave it to you. If they would have just trusted, they could have enjoyed God's blessing, but they chose their emotions instead. Sometimes you just have to rest. Sometimes you just have to tell your emotions, I know it don't feel like it, but this is what God's word said. And I'm going to settle my heart, not in my emotions, but I'm going to settle it in the word of God and I'm going to rest in God's word. Request, rest, 
Thirdly, I would say read. You know what? I guess what the enemy of emotions, I guess this would be the way to say it. You know what the enemy of emotions is? It's faith. Faith is the opposite of emotions. Emotions are based on circumstances most of the time. Most of the time emotions come from what's going on in our life. Faith is based on truth. And what emotions are to circumstances, faith is to truth. And here's what he said in Romans chapter 10. He said, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you want your faith to overcome emotions, you're going to have to spend time in the word of God. One of the greatest ways to deal with emotions is spend time in the word of God. And even though your emotions may tell you, listen, you'll read verses in the Bible and promises in the Bible that your emotions are telling you is not true. Your emotions are telling you that God's let you down. But you just have to read the Word of God and the Word of God will develop faith in your life to be able to overcome those emotions. Lastly, and I'm finished, request, rest, read, read the Word of God. And the last thing I'd say is reach. One of the best things to do with our emotions is to, to be busy. You know, one thing emotions will do, and I, please don't, I don't even know if this is the best way to say it. It's the only way I know to say it. Please, if you're dealing with emotions in your life, don't take this as, as the wrong way. But one thing emotions will do, because I've been there, emotions will make you selfish. They just make us think about ourselves. It's just natural. That's the natural tendency. When you're dealing with fear, you're thinking about yourself. When you're dealing with anger, you're thinking about yourself. When you're dealing with sadness, and some, you know, there's nothing wrong with those emotions. Those are all natural emotions. But emotions will easily get centered around ourself. And what it will cause you to do is it will cause you to quit doing what God has called you to do. God's called you to reach. God has called you to make a difference. God has given you an opportunity. God's, call, God's given you a family to reach. with, the, And you live your life on your emotions, and you're very likely to lose your family. God's given you a church to reach. You live your life on emotions, you might lose your church. God's given you a purpose. God's put co-workers in your life. God has put friends. He's put people around you who need to hear the gospel. And one thing that would help us deal with our emotions is just take some time and not be so concerned with ourselves and reach out to somebody else. You'll find that you talk to psychologists and people who professionalize in this area. One thing to help people that deal with emotions is to stay busy. Get busy doing something. They'll tell you a lot of times, find a hobby. Find something you enjoy doing. And I'm telling you what we have to do when it comes to the Lord and dealing with our emotions. We just need to get busy for the Lord. Do something for God. A lot of times that will help us. One mistake, and, and I want to be careful because I've not, I definitely haven't haven't served God as long as many other preachers. I don't have all the answers. I don't even close to have all the answers. But I think sometimes our emotions will tell us is you just need to take a break. You just need to you need to step back and sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes Jesus did it. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus told his disciples come apart. I mean they had gotten to a place but be careful not to take such a break that you completely forget that God's called you to reach. God's called you God's called you to do something for him. And sometimes, if sometimes we're not careful, we'll take such a break, we'll take such a far step back that it just makes our emotions worse and it causes more problems in our life. Here's what I want to say as I close. I'm telling you, He knoweth our frame. The, the Lord knows. He knows the emotions that we deal with. All of them, like I said, you look at me, you'll never know some of the emotions that I deal with. We would be surprised. If we could somehow see into each other's thoughts and into each other's spirit, we would be surprised. There are some people that look so strong to you 
and you'd be surprised how scared they are in their emotions. There are some people who look so happy to you, and you would be so surprised how sad they are. And there are some people who look so brave, you'd be surprised how fearful they are in their emotions. Some people look like they have it all together. I mean, they just, and you'd be surprised in their emotions how they feel like they're falling apart. Our emotions are deceptive, but He knoweth our frame, and He knows our emotions. And even though our emotions are not perfect because nothing in our life is perfect because of depravity, He can help us with our emotions, and He can help us to continue to serve Him. David was still able to serve. He was, the Bible said in the book of Acts that he served his generation. He was a man that dealt with a lot of emotions. Elijah, sitting there depressed, it's very Jeremiah... It's very, it's very likely that Jeremiah, Elijah, those men, it's very likely they struggled with clinical depression and anxiety. I mean, they would have been, they would have been diagnosed in the day that we live. Uh, and, and they struggled, but they still, the Lord still used their life. The Lord did, even in Elijah, the Lord still did something great through Elijah. The Lord still used Jeremiah to be a prophet. If Jeremiah didn't reach anybody, he may not have reached many people in the day that he lived. But think about how many people he's reached from his words being in the Word of God and how it's impacted our life. God can still use you, even your emotions. Let's stand together. Preacher, you come give the invitation however you usually do. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I'm so thankful that there is no part of our life that is secret to you. Even though, even though there are things about ourselves that everyone else can't see. And Lord, honestly, there's a lot of things about ourselves that we don't understand. There's a lot of things about ourselves that we can't comprehend. But Lord, you know our frame. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that just as a father, I'm thankful, Lord, you don't look at us as a judge looks at a convict, but you look at us as a father looks at a child, and you pity us. And, Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, you know the struggles of your people. There may be somebody here that is dealing. Their problem this morning is their emotions, and they've let their emotions control their life. They've let their emotions rob their joy and steal their happiness and and uh, rob them of opportunity, Lord. I pray that that they would uh, that they would understand this morning how important it is to get how important it is to give their emotions to you, and that you would do in their heart what only you can do. Lord, we thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen.